A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to the 276th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Tyler W. Small, Udo Poots, and Clinton Cornwell. I'm Matt Enlo. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Zoe Lister-Jones and Daryl Wine on the podcast. They are the dastardly duo behind so many different things, but most recently the movie How It Ends, about the end of the world. Coincidentally, it was shot totally during COVID in a very interesting way. These are two filmmakers that they're both directors, they're both actors, and they have done studio films, they've done TV, they've done indie films. I believe this movie premiered at Sundance. Is that true? It did indeed. And it also comes out July 20th of this year. Yeah. And the cast is just totally bonkers. They just called everyone they knew during COVID and said, let's shoot something. And who knows who said no, but we can tell you a lot of people who said yes. Fred Armisen, Olivia Wilde. I uh, was busy that day. But, Nick Kroll, um, Matt is not in it. Bradley Whitford, Helen Hunt. I mean, it's just like a who's who of people that happen to be available during a pandemic and quarantine. Yeah, it's a really cool story because, you know, both Daryl and Zoe have started with indie movies, kind of DIY, really scrappy, doing that kind of New York mumblecore sort of thing, and have since done super high budget, really big movies and gone to all sorts of festivals and got super, super fancy, but uh, they returned to their roots with this one. It's a, a teeny tiny crew. We, we dig into it a little bit, but it is proof that you can just shoot it. It was two cameras and some sound equipment and a handful of people, most of whom are on screen. Pretty incredible. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I'm excited about this conversation for people to hear it and yeah, I, I think I will echo what you say that the most exciting thing about them is people who've come off of million dollar, multi-million dollar budgets just making a movie for nothing by themselves in their neighborhood with their friends. So it's cool. Really cool. Yeah, I think they were reinvigorated by the process. And we talk a little bit about that and the ins and outs of doing something like that. But uh, I found the, the whole conversation inspiring, which is... um really nice because that's kind of the reason yeah because you're impossible to inspire everybody knows that yeah i'm just like ugh, ugh. why am i doing anything yeah no no it was great so fun their movie also stars kaylee spaney who's like the hottest new actor in hollywood she's so good she was in devs i think we talked about it. and she was in mayor of east town and she's just like just a solid actor that i'm excited to see more of but anyway before we talk to daryl and zoe I would love to hear, Matt, 
What would you like to talk about? <laughs> uh, 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 I, I've been working on segues mostly. And so, Oren, I'm curious about what you've been working on lately. Yeah, well, I'm prepping a couple jobs. And I had one job that we are really struggling to figure out the location. And I thought it would be fun to talk about. The location is a kitchen, which mm-hmm. sounds incredibly easy. But we need to shoot eight commercials in this one kitchen. It needs to be connected to a living room, so like a, a great room, you know? Right, like a like a open floor plan sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. but it needs to look like very middle-class, suburban, average, all-American home with uh, the characters are going to be like two parents in their late 40s and a like 18-year-old son or daughter in each spot. Um. Yeah, great. So before we dig in, a clarifying question specifically about the class and how quote-unquote aspirational this kitchen should be and we've talked about this on the the show before but you know like a a nice house in plenty of parts of the country costs significantly less than a house does in los angeles so you and i both can look at a mid-sized kitchen and be like wow this place is really great and based off of the location i have a hunch that this this house costs a million and a half dollars depending on the location being kind of the the big big factor there whereas like a, a kitchen the same size in my hometown right sacramento which is no slouch is a cool city all sorts of interesting yeah, stuff are happening capital of would, california capital of california would be significantly cheaper right and so i guess what i'm really all of all of which is to say are you looking for the average American household size kitchen? Or are you, in which case you would go to a million dollar home in Los Angeles? Or are you looking for something a little cheaper? So I'm calling it the average, but really I, I, I made a deck and I made a list of things that I want from this kitchen. And I sent it to our production designer. Our Nice windows, island, I imagine. Yes, um, so the island is key. Mm-hmm. As anyone crucial. that's shot in yeah. a kitchen with multiple people knows because... Let's talk about why, though. Let's talk about why. Right. So, well, what's your reason? My reason is that an island puts people in front of working space. They can have some sort of business. They can chop some carrots or roll out some pizza dough or whatever. There's a reason they're in the kitchen. Or just eat some food and not be facing a wall. Exactly. So the island is key. Every cooking show of all time is uses an island instead of, you know, the back counters because we want the actors to be facing us. And if you have an island that has four sides to it, then you can put the camera on one side, like to the left side of the island and have two actors talking to each other on two other sides of the island. You know, there's a lot of, I don't know if they're still called islands. Maybe they're called peninsulas, like those counters that connect to the wall, but they're, they don't have four sides to go around. They're almost functionally they're functionally like a bar and uh, like so you could eat there it's almost like dining space or also and also prep space at the same time multi-purpose right and then there's islands with sinks or stoves built into them and so are are your characters cooking Would would a stove be helpful they are cooking the stove would potentially be helpful the the idea is that there's this kind of famous person that appears in the kitchen and is telling the family to make a meal, a, a dish, and the and the family is r- scrambling and running around the kitchen making this dish, like gathering ingredients and cooking them, and then something happens at the end. And so it's eight different versions of that with eight different kind of uh, famous people, you know, in, oh. in a different... Wait, how many days are you shooting this? We are shooting 
six days, two days in the kitchen, four days, various <laughs> famous people. Quote unquote, they're, I mean, they might be famous. You might know their name. You might not know their name. They're famous in their industry. And we're traveling around the country for four days shooting those people actually on a green screen. So the famous people are Compton, basically. But you still have to accommodate, like, for eye lines and timing and all of that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And part part of the conceit is that they're Compton. But yes, but they do exist inside this kitchen space. And so, so now, including them, there's four characters. We want to be able to see in all four directions. We want one of the directions to be a living room with a TV on it where people would maybe watch TV. Then we want this kitchen. And then on top of that, I would love for it to feel like... I actually kind of like that Geico, like quirky Geico tone. And I talked to the client about it and they, they think that might be a little too quirky. But to me, in a kitchen, that means like kind of brown wooden cabinets, you know, maybe a tile counters, just just not sure. not like a slick, modern L.A. Yeah. kitchen. I want it you're to no, look like no granite countertops is what you're saying. Not HGTV. Well, granite is OK, but not quartzite or something like like if if your grandma would have or, it, sorry, it's marble acceptable. countertops, Mar- marble countertops are the uh, yeah. the chic thing. And yeah, I mean, and marble, uh, all, no, only because it's super expensive. You know, like I, I would love it, some uh, something that my in laws would have in their house in Cleveland. Like is what I guess I'm aiming for. Or yeah, just um, like there's this movie. This is forty Judd Apatow film. I don't know if you remember it, all their kitchen, but that's like one of my references. Silver Linings Playbook is like. There isn't actually much of a kitchen in that movie, but that that type of family is what I'm going for. Kind of this like on the border of blue and white collar. Yeah. And the, or even, you know, they, they just they moved in a while ago. They haven't redone their kitchen. And so it's a little dated. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. And it has like well, tchotchkes all over the place. But also because the the brand colors are blue, I really want the kitchen to feel like warm and wooden and orangey to make this the blue stuff stick out. So... The reason the kitchen is so hard, well, our producer, because we're going to be traveling all over the place, feels like we're not going to have time to do a tech scout and rather scout and, and go look at a bunch of different kitchens together. And he was saying, why don't we just build this kitchen? But of course, a kitchen, unlike any other room in the house, is just so much more expensive to build because cabinets alone are not only are they thousands of dollars, you know, five to ten thousand dollars just to put cabinets up that literally look like the cabinets in any kitchen, but they take like two two to three days to put up then do you want a sink that actually works do you want a refrigerator sure we can rent a refrigerator for three hundred dollars and we have to move it for four hundred you know it's like a thousand dollars just to have a refrigerator it's not even we don't even need it to open but we want it to be in the scene then the stovetop the microwave the the oven do we want a hallway do we want windows what do we see through those windows windows is actually a big one because also you know, are you throwing a translate or some sort of background up there? That means that the space needs to be bigger and you need more light that way. Like there's a lot, it kind of becomes a domino effect. Yeah. And I wanted to feel like, so this is how I describe the kitchen in my deck. I want wooden cabinets, a view into the living room and a lived in feel. And so by live, that, that's the other problem when you're building a set, you know, people that design this kitchen at Ikea and they go and they buy the things and they paint them and they bring them and they, and then you have to wear it down. Like a real kitchen has like just Distressing. layers of grease, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from a million years. You know, I want like rustic de- decor. I want built-in cabinets, windows, nooks and crannies. I don't want a big white wall. I want room for like decor. There's specific I decor mean, we want. Some of that stuff sounds like set deck to me. Yeah. Um, but 
but I think you know what you're getting at really is that it's a it's a big build and it's not it's not just the kitchen right it's not three walls it's really four plus some dimensionality to it right because you have to have that open floor, floor plan yeah but the living room see to me like the living room is just like it's so like a couch side tables you know pillows blankets whatever and and yeah, we're gonna a see, designer can do it in their sleep we're gonna mostly look at the kitchen like from the living room so we don't the living room doesn't have to be perfectly built out, but like a kitchen versus a bedroom. A bedroom is like the easiest thing you can build, right? It's like three walls and a door. Do you see window. the ceilings or the floors, right? You're talking about some long shots here, right? Kitchens in particular have very specific ceilings. And that also it's such a bummer because then all of a sudden you can't light from above. You know, it gets tricky. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, why aren't we just in an actual house? Right. right. So, yes. And the same you with the floors. The kitchen, the floor potentially... Probably, we'll probably see that there's some high angles and low angles involved in this thing. So we'll at least catch like a piece of the ceiling that's t- attached to the wall. Um, like I don't know that we'd need a complete ceiling. And the floor in some of these high angles looking down, I think we would see like, you know, we're going to have some shots of food and things on the counter. So you always want to be ready to see off that counter. So that quite, you you hinted at something that really stresses me out when we're talking about a build. And that's that uh, you might see. Is, is what you just said, and I I hate well, having still storyboarding and stuff. You yeah, you're storyboarding and stuff, but yeah, but like your storyboard artist doesn't know what lens is going to be picked on the day. You know, you can be like, oh, go a little wider, go a little tighter, whatever. You know, I get really nervous at the conversation that'll inevitably come up of like, oh, Matt, listen, you know, budget's getting kind of tight. You know, um. Are we for sure going to see the ceiling? Are we for sure going to see the floor? Because yeah, it would which save is us. A guaranteed thing that will come up. Like it's not guaranteed. even a question. It's not like some shoots it will and some it won't. It's like and it's a, it's a good question from a producer's perspective because we are talking about you know thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, maybe I don't know, um, depending on how much space you need and how you want to build everything. Yeah, um, and also and the, the lighting, answer is always I don't really know, and I've never you never have to think about it when you're when you're in a real house because there is a floor and a ceiling in a real house and so you you know and like so oftentimes i'll be like ah yeah you know it's all right i'll shoot around it go for it let's save that money you know i wanted the jib or i wanted the this or that or two more extras and i'm a team player so i we can cut the ceiling and then inevitably you end up in a situation where you compromise a shot because it needs a ceiling and you can't get it. Right. Yeah. Then there's also this problem with the set. Like if you shoot in a real house, let's say you shot in a craftsman or like a Spanish style house or something, there's a good chance there's going to be an archway, you know, leading into the kitchen. There's a chance in a craftsman there might be some pillars or some foreground elements. On a set, you really have to say like, hey, I want to do this. Let's build this. And then your production designer is like, okay, it's going to be $800 and another crew person. We're going to have to move those. And, you're like, ah, so that means like we're going to not have the microwave. Are you okay sure. with that? Well, but the, the flip side is also true though, right? Because how often are you in a really great kitchen and you you picked the biggest one? It looks awesome. It's got all the things you want. And inevitably, your DP is like backed up into a corner and just like they, their elbow hits the, the column or whatever weird feature that a house has because it needs, you know, to hold up a roof or whatever, and they're like, oh, we could just fly this column out. This shot would be 10% better. Yes. 
that that is for sure true but i guess i see those things as usually i see them as like hey there's a column here maybe we can shoot over this column maybe we can dolly from behind this column maybe we can like to me the limitations are what make it so much easier when someone's like hey let's build whatever you want just know every single thing you want to add costs money and time and, and we are and only going to make what you for build. it yeah, yeah there's yeah. <laughs> there's no inspiration there's no like oh come to set and think ooh that's a cool angle it's like we've only built the angles that you told us we need to build, you know? Right, right. Yeah. No, no, 100%. And I think that, look, as you get bigger jobs, I think that production designers start kind of furnishing you with more things to use. You know, they're like, you know, we thought you might want a column or two. So we had a, we have a few on standby, Orin. You know, let me know if you want them. That sort of stuff. And then, boy, nothing feels better. You or know? you remember when we went on the set of Good Girls, right? They have a house. They build the whole house. So even though it's a set, you can look in any direction and they have architectural pieces and they have little ceiling pieces and floors and things. And so I think that's when you go really with the big budgets and you're building entire locations. But when you're and doing... And there were still fly walls and stuff too, yeah. right? You get the best of both worlds. Like the DP can be like, okay, this wall needs to go away because I want to be there. But also they can shoot through the column or whatever. Yeah, right. But when you're on a commercial that's going to shoot for two days and you say, okay, I want this countertop and this backsplash, they're like, do you really need a backsplash? <laughs> like, we could literally just paint it or put wallpaper up, but if you want a back, like a tiled backsplash, that is going to take us two days in a tiling person, you know? Yeah, it's more, I, I just get stressed at the thought of like those sort of like, I told you so, or like, oh, I wish I just thought of this moment. I, I remember building... It was a big build and I needed a bedroom for just like one tiny thing. And the DP got there and was like, you couldn't have made this room three feet bigger, dude. Yeah. And by the way, I've had the exact same, the exact opposite problem. When I did that five gum thing, we were, we were literally copying a person's real bedroom. But the DP is like, why don't we just make, instead of making this wall 14 feet, why don't we make it 20 feet? Like, it's like barely any extra. Why don't we make this there? And then we're on set and we're trying to do this shot and we're trying to more or less copy the shot that she does when she's on Twitch. And um, it, the, the room was just too big. It's like it was too far. It was just felt kind of empty and vast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, even even when you, you get a lens up and you, you know, you're just pointing at everything that's dressed and stuff, it just feels... Well, we, so we ended up big. just moving her desk. Instead of putting it against the wall, we pushed it like seven feet into the room just so she's closer to the bed too. So we ended up having like a third of our set that we never even touched. Yeah, I, I think, I guess I'm okay with that because again, that's the best of both worlds where you're not ever worried you're going to shoot off. You know, you can put the camera where it wants to be and also you have the room to move around and do it, yeah. you know. But you know, um, Jen McGowan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Jen McGowan was on the podcast, she said this thing, this, that this notion that I love that as a director, you have a certain amount of power and influence and when you ask for things you're giving a little bit of that up and you have and at some point you run out and i gave up a lot of it to get the room to be as big as the dp one and um and uh, i ended up having to you know we didn't get exactly the practical lights we wanted and we didn't get some other things like functioning closet doors and in a different door than i wanted um because i exchanged it for a much bigger more, room more yeah room. yeah yeah, do you ever, I feel like sometimes I'll be on set and I'll have fought for something. And that's one of those things where it, it won't really be apparent to anyone that 
you needed it, but you would feel the absence of it, right? If the walls had been shallower or shorter, it would have been annoying. And I feel like sometimes I would like to a producer, especially if it was like a heated sort of conversation, I would be like, you know, this shot looks really good, right? Like we wouldn't be able to get it if we didn't have the length of this wall. And I feel obnoxious, but I also (laughs) want them to understand that like, hey, this was worth it and I appreciate it. Yeah. No, that's good. That's great. Even when you're like, see, the the teleprompter is letting us go four times faster than I asked for. You know, I think it's worth saying like, hey, just note for next time. Let's not fight about this because I was right. Or note for next time. Hey, you were right. Like, I actually didn't need this. One of my favorite filmmaking anecdotes surrounding this topic is from the movie Room with Brie Larson. So apparently the the filmmakers of that film built a much bigger room originally. And they were trying to film this. And they're like, yeah, we'll for, just move the walls. People who, move the camera. people who haven't right. seen the movie, it's about a person who's held captive in effectively like a shed in that person's backyard. And it's based off of a real story. Or no, a novel maybe. Inspired by true events. Maybe, yeah. maybe not actually a true event. And so anyway. Brie Larson, she gets, she has a, a kid also, and the two of them live in this tiny room. And she's, he's never been outside the room, and she's built it into this giant world for him. You know, here we have the toothbrushing corner, and then here we have the closet, and here's the bed, and here's the desk. And to him, that's like the entire neighborhood is in this tiny room. And they built a bigger room, and they're like, well, just you know, move the walls, we'll scoot in the way, we'll lens it, we'll just make it feel smaller, you know, through the through movie magic. And after like the first day of shooting, they're like. Nah, this this room is like way too big. It's too big. Yeah, sure. We have to we have to cram it down. It's just literally the way people are moving feels different. The way people are breathing, the way the lights um, bouncing. So similarly, like with with party shots, you know, like if you've got ten people and you want to make it feel like forty, I will always try and squish people together as tightly as possible, like on top of one another, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and long lens, long lens. Every yeah, long, party you long shoot lens, and, and then you just squish and you just squish them together, right? That's the way to do it. But inevitably, if there is enough space for people to have as much personal space as they would like, they immediately spread out. And so I start like I will partition things. Like I really I want like stanchions where I'm like like corralling the people in because otherwise they'll just kind of. They spread out just no matter what. Right. You know? It's like an elevator. You put three people in an elevator, they're never going to stand next to each other. Right. Exactly. They, just, they fill the... It's like liquid and it's like gas in a in a chamber. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting thing. Yeah. When I, I did the the Hammer, the movie, we have a couple party scenes and my DP's like, dude, this party looks so empty. And I'm like, I know. Like, we'll maybe change this angle. Maybe we'll put this person in the forum. And he's like, dude, we just have to shoot this whole thing on like the hundred mil. And then it looks like a totally full party in the, in the movie. Um, we turn like, you know, 20, 20 people can literally look like the most sad party you've ever had, even though you're like 20 people. That's a ton. Yeah, of that's, people. A, that's a good party. Yeah. So a uh, final question though, uh, budget. Cause that's the other thing I, I can think of times where I've decided halfway through a scout to like build the location instead of trying to find the perfect one. My designers are, you know, great and also a little annoyed because the job isn't bid for a build. It was bid for a location. And so then, you know, if you're lucky, you can move numbers around and find the resources to give them the resources that they need to do a great job. Because a designer will always know and would love to do a build, but it just takes more people and more days and all of that stuff. So that's the real question in my mind is like, do you have 
enough money to amply build out what sounds like a pretty pretty significant space. Yeah. Well, I, I think a build, though, there are ways that it can save you money, most notably in terms of production support, right? Like you, you're at a stage, you have an office, you now you don't need trailers for your actors, you don't need permits, you don't need to worry about trucks or neighbors or shutting down streets or all these other things that are off camera. And then you also just, you don't need to move furniture out and back in if you want to paint, you can, like if you're worried about destroying something. If you're going to make some sort of mess, you don't need to worry about that. But yes, in general, a build is just 10 times more work because you're building something that might already exist, but you're getting exactly what you want. And it's tricky in a commercial situation because you're shooting for two days. Yeah. If you were making and a sometimes TV even show, one day, but yeah. 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 If you're making a TV show, you know, you're going to shoot probably at least 10 episodes. Most, at least half of each episode is going to take place in the house that you built or whatever so it makes a lot more sense but i will say that budget having unlimited budget still does not make a build be the same as a place if you don't have unlimited time and i think the best example of that is saturday night live they can build they have basically as much money as they would ever want to build any stage whether it's for a short or whether it's for you know a set on on live TV, that those sets obviously are very specific because they have to be performed in front of a live studio audience. But some of their shorts, the one I'm thinking of specifically is the Totino's short. Do you remember that? It's like mm, sure. yeah. with Kristen Stewart and Vanessa Bear, And they are like, you know, having this love affair in the kitchen while their brother and husband and all their friends are watching a football game in the, in the living room, which is, it's a great room. It's like the same scenario. So I was looking at that commercial and you look at that set and you know, they did an amazing job. They probably got the script on Wednesday and had to shoot it on Friday. I know? think that actually SNL does have a handful of houses that they just go to upstate. Oh, well, this I is definitely a set. I'll, I'll oh, okay. show it to you because it just, even with all the money in the world, you can still see like there's no tile work. You know, every counter is like a cork, you know, it's like a wooden countertop. And there's just this thing that feels fake about it, which is totally fine for an SNL commercial, you know. But not if you want to make something that feels real, you know. So I do think the budget is budget is always a thing. But but let's say let just to throw out a random number. Let's say we have twenty thousand dollars to create this kitchen. You know, you could easily rent a great location for half that price, and then permits and all the other things you need easily covered. Can you build, including the rental, the stage rental, the the crew, the lumber, which is very expensive right now, and all the other materials. Can you build a decent kitchen for $20,000? For $20,000? I don't know. A kit, If it were a bedroom, I would say, yeah, I think we could probably yeah. swing it. Yeah, two flats, three flats, bed. Like I mean, bedrooms, most bedrooms I work in, they just get an inflatable king-size mattress if, if someone's not going to be spending a lot of time in the bed, you know? Like there's so many tricks to make a bedroom look real. And it's the, you know, and you want a window and maybe a translate or maybe you just have blinds and some diffusion so you don't even really see outside. But the kitchen is, it's tough, I think. Yeah, well, keep us posted. Let us know uh, if you decide on a, a kitchen or um, or, or uh, like set, set a location. Yeah. yeah, I spent some time on gigster.com today and there's mm-hmm. some options. Yeah. Um, and it might be cheaper to literally go to a gigster.com house like in a mansion, just sweep out all the furniture, just use the bones of the kitchen and build around that. And it'll be for sure, it'll be faster. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I, I think that oftentimes 
so Gigster is like Airbnb, but for locations. But I think that those ha- homes are not unlike Airbnbs where there is a class of place that is just for shooting and like house parties and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like people don't actually live there. So there's not a ton of stuff. There's not a ton of gack to worry about in the first place, which is probably a pretty good compromise. Though sometimes neighbors really hate um, Kickstarter mm-hmm. and Airbnb. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but you can get like a mansion. Like, I mean, you can get for 500 bucks an hour, you can get pretty much anything. And then for like 100 bucks an hour, you can get a, some really decent houses. They all have minimum hours, though, by the way. Like, you probably can't go in there for half an hour and pay them 50 bucks. And cleaning fees and stuff like that. I mean, for um, for a movie, we, we used Gigster for one of the locations. And it was great, actually. Really yeah. worked out awesome. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I've shot in some, like, really nice places where you're like, these people are millionaires. <laughs> like, why are they on Gigster? And a lot of them are like, it's just fun. We love our house. We're proud of it. We want other people to see it. We think it's great for commercials. You know, it's like people that want to put their dogs in commercials. Like, it's usually not for the money. Yeah, I mean, and also, like, we're like, oh, yeah, 500 bucks uh, an hour. What a good deal. That's a lot of money. No, no. Know? Yeah, the $500, yes. But the, like, the uh, uh, for $1,000, like, ruin your entire day for, to a person that is making, you know, $3,000 a day or something, it seems not worth it. If Obviously, if your income is from renting your house, it's a different thing. I remember doing um, one shoot where we just needed like a nice, cute little house. And I literally, on the scout and on the shoot days, did not meet the person who owned it. He like, literally, he had like, you know, one of those electronic locks on his door and just used his phone. You know, the, the producer texted like, hey, we're here for the scout. Boop. Doors unlocked. Walked around. And he lived there too. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just at work. And in and out, literally never saw him. Cool. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well... Great. On the note of making thousands of dollars a day, I'd love to remind people that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's where you can help us make thousands of cents a day, and the money goes to paying our editor, paying for all our hosting fees. Uh, We've even run run some ads recently, which, I don't know, you know that my ad account on Facebook and Instagram got hacked, and I'm dealing with my friend Anna at Facebook. She's trying to help me get reinstated and it's just a real pain in the in the butt so uh don't use the same password on facebook as like every other website you've ever been on folks that's my my piece of advice and yeah if you uh pledge ten dollars a month uh, i will personally mail you a just shoot it podcast hat i have two on their way out this week and yeah we appreciate it uh, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and that's it anything else matt Before we talk to Daryl and Zoe, here is a word from our sponsor. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Congrats on the movie. I was wondering how it ends. Sorry if you've gotten that today <laughs> a lot. How it started, how it ended. Well, yeah. it's not over yet. No. Life continues. We're still alive. Yeah. The well, characters might not be, but they're <laughs> they're in the they're in the fictional afterlife. Yeah. So I guess maybe for people that haven't seen the movie yet, can you guys give us the premise real quick? Obviously it's a apocalyptic end of the world movie. But what's the what's the setup and then and how did you come up with it? How it ends follows Liza, played by Zoe Lister-Jones, as she traverses Los Angeles, accompanied by her younger self, on her way to the final party on the last day on Earth. And she meets an eclectic cast of characters along the way. We started conceiving of it like a couple months into lockdown, and it was very much born out of lockdown in that I think, I mean, I think Daryl, (laughs) Daryl was eager to make something uh, out of the boredom and anxiety combo that can be lethal. There's something also about like social media, right? And you see all these other like filmmakers and artists making things and you're like, God, I've just been doing nothing for three months. Like I, yeah, I'm going to post a selfie with this puzzle I just finished. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was really early. I don't, I actually don't think that there there was no one that was doing it yet, but I think it was just more that, for both of us as filmmakers individually and together, we, I feel like we don't really know how to work through. Take a break. How to take a break. Well, (laughs) take a break, but also know how to work through like 
big existential questions if it's not through filmmaking, like uh, as writers. So I think that that was a big part of the impetus too, was that we didn't know what to do with all of the emotional overwhelm that we were facing. And we put, you know, we ended up putting it into a script that also, in addition to being a way to navigate our emotions, we also were looking to create a narrative that could be shot within the parameters of this this sort of new normal. So yeah, so we created this this narrative that, that we could shoot entirely outdoors and six feet apart. I think it's worth it. Can you two set the table for us just in terms of like the scale and approach to production? Just just walk us through real quick, you know, the nitty gritty of, you know, how many bodies are on set, all of that stuff, just the practicalities of making this movie. Okay, so the crew is four people. It was myself as the DP, co-director, co-producer, and then like a hundred other crew members in one. <laughs> and uh, and then my friend Tyler, who was my co-DP, who I had filmed a, a movie called White Rabbit that was in Sundance two years before. And a sound mixer, whose name was Jack Sobo. And we had an assistant who helped kind of swing between all of us. And even Zoe, as the star of the film and my co-producer and co-director, would help with ordering food for the cast or (laughs) dealing with logistics. Um, So we wore many hats and it was obviously very challenging to do it like that, but super gratifying because it really did bring us back to our film school days and just like starting out when we made our first film breaking upwards, you know, with very little resources. And it's just so fun to do it like that, you know, cause you can run and gun and you don't have to wait and, you know, depend on so many people. There's not a lot of cooks in the kitchen and it just, you know, that's like magic to me to just like the immediacy, like, Oh, let's like, just, actually let's just move over there and shoot that grab that and like on a normal production you'd have like okay turn it around be like can we do this and everyone's like no we can't and then you're like come on yes we can <laughs> so this it was just like yeah let's just do that and most people were game what's crazy about like the COVID of it all is that you know usually on an indie film you are like can we squeeze all these scenes into 15 days and it seems like on a production like this, it's like, hey, we have unlimited number of days as long as the crew is like four people. Is that, did you guys have a schedule? Like, did you have everyone script out? You have obviously like an insane cast, right? You have like Nick Kroll and um, Olivia Wilde and Fred Armisen. Like, was it the type of thing where you had everything scripted out in a schedule and then you went and shot? Or was it like, oh, Olivia said she'll do it on Wednesday. Like, let's go over there. Uh, I, I would say the, the schedule... Um because we were, you know, we were, we were line producing and ADing ourselves as well. Um, the schedule was luckily looser. Um, like we would take days off, you know, a number of days off and then work around people's, people's schedules that they could be available to us or their backyards could be available to us or any of, of the things that we were trying to work around. And I think it was also based on like locations, you know, we were seeing like how much we could get in a day uh, because we were really running and gunning a lot of it. So like, okay, this street corner works for this scene and then this actor's house is up the block. And so 
yeah, we, we, we were able to have some flexibility around schedule in that way. That's cool. Yeah. I love, I, I live in Silver Lake. Matt lives ages away from here in Los Feliz, <laughs> but, but I loved uh, all that stuff. Like, how did you, I don't, I hope I don't get you guys arrested, but how were you guys just like shooting in the middle of the street? Like there's just all these shots of you and your younger self. Like, like, I guess I'm asking is that, was that intentional? Like we all, we could never get this unless it was right now. Like was yeah, it something that was really. Yeah. 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 Totally. We were like, this is fucking crazy. This will never happen again. And we've never seen a movie in an empty LA before um, where literally every single street is empty. Uh, so we were like, we got to take advantage of this moment in time and this will be a time capsule and it'll be really weird and surreal and challenging. And, and so, yeah, we were just like, let's just get out there. And we definitely debated it if it was possible and, and had a few loving arguments about, uh, if this, if, if we should be making a film, but you know, we're artists, we gotta, we gotta channel our shit somehow. And yeah, it was just like amazing to, to be in the middle of Hollywood and see very few people in cars. And we waited, you know, in most scenes, I always wanted there to be not, nothing in the background. And sometimes we got bogeyed, but we would just rotoscope that out in posts. Um, but a lot of it was practical, minus the occasional jogger, you know, person driving by. And yeah, that, that created a real interesting calm as well like it was it was nice to have such a small production also for the actors i think because it felt i think like a, almost like a student film in that like this is so bare bones from a from a um equipment perspective that like i think they feel less pressure and it makes the actors just feel like oh we're just playing like we're there's an intimacy and, I, and that is something that i think zoe and i we're definitely striving for in general and we strive for in our productions. And in my last couple of films, I've definitely been trying to get closer to the story in that sense as well, in terms of not only blending fact and fiction between real people and story, but also just like the immediacy with which we shoot it and how many people are involved and creating an energy on set. I think that's something that's also like tantamount to our work is making sure that we're surrounded by people that are loving and want to be there. And sometimes, you know, in the past you run into a crew member here or there that might be ornery and be, you know, uh, going through a tough time or whatever. And, and just their onset behavior can really disrupt um, the flow. And so this was so minimal. So we were able to avoid that. Yeah. That's why I stopped working with yeah. Matt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's complaining about coffee orders all the time. How hard is it to uh, get yeah. the um, coffee order right? Well, I'm curious. So equipment wise, we usually don't dive too deep into this, but you guys have all these great shots of you walking like Zoe, you walking around these streets, right? In Silver Lake. And like, I guess you could, you could have chosen to shoot this kind of like docu style, you know, right? Long lenses, like following them, like the the wrestler or something, you know, like, but you chose to shoot it a little bit more like a studio style, like what looked like a steady cam or a gimbal, or I don't know what it is. And then kind of more traditional coverage when you get into like the scenes of when you're meeting the people, like what, can you tell us a little bit about that approach and like how you came up with that? I thought about, you know, shooting Verite. I, I had done that on White Rabbit, um, which was also in LA. And I kind of just wanted to try something different. And also this, aesthetic was mirroring the kind of static nature of the film and the tone, which was like disjointed and, and in some ways 
we were feeling disconnected in reality. And so that kind of bled into the camera work. And I, I just, I also just wanted the backgrounds to play such a character, you know, like I think the cities like Zoe and I've shot in New York and LA a lot. And so they tend to play a big role, but this, because there was so, they were so empty, I kind of wanted to just sit with it and let people just see the characters just kind of wander in and out. And so that, that meant, you know, some wider, you know, sometimes 24, 35 millimeter prime lenses. And uh, we shot mostly on Canon L series zooms. And I would kind of just move in and out with that and just kind of choose the focal length. And on the Canon, the C300 Mark III is what we use to film. And that was great because that's primarily a documentary camera and it's, it's so light and, and easy to move around, which was great for us to be able to do. Because again, we were moving so, so rapidly between locations. So that made it super nimble and fun. And on our first feature, Breaking Upwards, which this was sort of like, in many ways, I think production wise, like we were a return to form. <laughs> um, but Daryl had had created um, tracks out of like PVC pipe that he had bought at the hardware store with like a, you know, a homemade dolly that went on top of it. And we did we did some of that too here. We had we had PVC pipe. I have to attribute that to our first, my um, DP on on Breaking Upwards, Alex Bergman. That was his idea, and it was a genius idea. Because yeah, we just didn't have the the um, manpower to deal with like true dolly tracks and stuff. So yeah, you saw there's a few shots like when we push in on Sharon Van Etten, when we kind of move in on Zoe and Kaylee in that final scene. There's a few moments where we utilize that for emphasis on what was you know going on emotionally with the characters, and then we used a jib for that final shot, and. Uh, then the the moving walking scenes. Um, I sat in the back of my sound mixer's car and hung out, and he drove. Super um, safe, very safe. <laughs> yeah, he has a Volvo. It's fine. Yes. Yeah, it was a hatchback. And uh, and we then stabilized it in uh, in post. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, yeah, it looks great. And I, I mean, I love what you said about the calm feeling of the camera work. You know, in this time where everything is calm, we. My, I have a daughter named Winter, and we named her that because, like, winter in LA is like that time where, like, ev- there's less traffic and everything's calm and everything's introspective. And I really got that kind of winter in LA vibe from your movie. I'm curious, like, the, you know, you never acknowledge co- there's this isn't a movie about COVID or anything. I guess it's a movie about self reflection and finally taking a breath to think about, like, what's important in life. Like, Zoe, when you're doing this, scenes like with Olivia Wilde or with you know Bradley Whitford your father you're not touching each other but it feels like you want to touch each other did you think about how that fits into the story or was it more of just like a fun production challenge and like acting challenge I guess. um was it a fun challenge uh I don't know that I would call it fun uh but it was a challenge I mean producing 
and directing an indie film is always an extremely anxious experience. (laughs) And when you add a global pandemic on top of it, I would say those challenges, I think we, we were interested in creating a narrative, as I said, that could accommodate them. And I didn't, like, we didn't even talk about it with with actors in terms of like, we won't hug you goodbye. You know, we just would peace out in this. I would just peace out in the scene. And it would just, I think everyone was, was cool with it because we were, we were just this, I mean, we're still living in a surreal world, but I think, you know, we're returning in some ways to, to, to some sense of maybe normalcy. And I think at that time it was so early in quarantine that it was just a surreal way to work. It was intense and um, it was intense. Was it before math? No, 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 no. It was, it was. I don't remember that time. Remember like, no, you don't need a mask. Those are for doctors time. (laughs) No, 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 no. This was no, it wasn't that this early, was but... definitely PPE. But yeah, I mean, I think like it was an interesting mix because I think we were all so moved to be just literally sitting across from another person, and yet we were also, you know, wanting to be incredibly careful about um, all the things we were doing. But Daryl did a great job, like cheating shots, so that I mean, you can see like a shot. There's a wide where Colin Hanks and I are. You get to see actually how far we are from each other, uh, but in in the mediums and close-ups, you wouldn't guess that we were actually like that, that there was that much distance between us. And, um, and so I think, you know, we, we tended to err on the side of caution in that way. It's so funny to me because the whole film has this sort of like dreamlike tonal decision, you know, like it just feels like, you know, between the, the empty sort of streets and like the, the distance between the characters, all of that stuff kind of amounts to something that feels very otherworldly in a way that I think is really cool and obviously, you know, intentional and makes the film feel so specific. I'm curious if there are other decisions that were maybe motivated by the the nature of the way that you produce the film versus like the things where you were like, oh, we're kind of going for something and this is an aesthetic choice. Like that, that balance back and forth, I think is... Very, very interesting. Were there other aspects of the film that maybe, you know, you you turned into an asset? You know, like like blocking being the, a perfect example, right? The distance between those characters is really fascinating to me. I mean, you would have to guess the cast availability was <laughs> yeah, absolutely an asset. <laughs> I mean, when can you line up like forty like great people like that? Yeah, yeah, that are all yeah. at home. That was definitely a huge asset. I think like 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 the bridge, for example, like we knew that we wanted, you know, Zoe to run into Logan Marshall Green's character, the character who plays Nate, her her ex, the one that got you know that with the puppies, yes, um, that kind of got away in so many ways. Um, they run into each other unexpectedly. And so we were looking, you know, for somewhere to do that. And just so happened to stumble upon that really cool bridge all along the LA river. And, you know, the idea of the bridge um, between the two of them was this kind of interesting, you know, natural metaphor. They meet in the middle of it was a cool example of like a location that just kind of fit and surprised us and also had an interesting architecture and geography to it. There were a lot of people that walked across the bridge while we were filming, which was not fun. And we, we also used those PVC pipe tracks to push in on Logan with those puppies in slow motion. Uh, that was fun. Another um, but, Well, I'll just jump of, in for one second yeah. is that those were, those were pandemic puppies that 
like Logan, Logan was like, do you, he showed up to rehearsal with those two puppies. And then we were like, obviously those are <laughs> now in the movie. Um, so that was, that was also, you know, one of the boons of like people adopting puppies during, during quarantine. And then I thought the movie could have them. used a little more sourdough bread also. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That would have been uh, funny to well, add in. We'll, the sequel. We'll, we'll put, yeah. I'm yeah. kind of curious. You So you guys, obviously you've had films at Sundance, you've done studio things, you've, you know, you're kind of, not to hit, put it on the nose too much, but pretty well connected in Hollywood. Um, but then you made this kind of movie just on your own. Was there ever like a desire to be like, hey, let's call some producer or some executive or some studio or someone and see if they want to get behind us, like kind of in the way that that like Zendaya, John David Washington film did? Uh, yeah, no, not not with this one. I think we love making films on our own still. And uh Yes, it comes with its own set of challenges, but you get to control everything and you just don't yeah, have to get into uncomfortable conversations where someone's like, you should change this, you know, creative disputes and, and then dealing with... What if it doesn't end in the end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have uh, changed things and <laughs> we're so glad that it didn't go that way. So yeah, it's easier to do it you know, and, and creatively that way. But, you know, like, it just depends what you're trying to do. Like, again, global pandemic, like, we just couldn't have done it, like, in a major way. Like, like what Sam Levinson did with um, that film, like, they, that, they were one of a few films that really, you know, went out and put themselves out on a limb to, to do that. And they, I think a lot of them knew each other. And so that was cool that they were able to, to make something as big and but again that was one location we shot in like a hundred locations <laughs> that's an exaggeration but you know what you know what i mean it felt like it I, I, I mean, it was a lot of locations i mean i think i had also just come off of a studio film as a writer director and it was very appealing to me to go make something that was just creatively entirely independent and as i mentioned it's really where daryl and i like cut our teeth as filmmakers was just like aggressively independent <laughs> filmmaking. And I think we, we over the course of both of our careers together and, and independent from each other, our roots are pretty gorilla. We have a good formula, I think for, for making films in this way. Um, and I think it's a really important like palette cleanser <laughs> um, to, to, to sort of refresh the reason why, why you do the, do you, you find do. Um, you want to bring some of that gorilla DIY mentality into your more studio mainstream projects or vice versa? Are there things that you kind of like to carry with you one way or the other? I think so. It's so hard to man. It's yeah. like, I, I, I always want to, but I mean, it's, it's not even, it's just that just the sheer, just bureaucracy just can't you can't you can't like i would say that the gorilla the gorilla elements that are super impactful once you get into the studio system are just like making your days when you have because no matter how large the budget is there you're still always pinching pennies and you're still always um up against the clock um so I would say in that way, like you are always bringing it with you and how to cut corners is, is still always on the director's shoulders. 
Yeah. I found like what Daryl said about the just trying to uh, get into the habit of being closer to the actors, you know, interesting and like wondering if you could do that in like a studio setting, if you could be like, hey, let's just clear the set. Let's go handheld. Let's be close. Let's, you know, get rid of everyone. And I, I feel like it's pretty much impossible. <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, on Lola versus our second film with Fox Searchlight, I did um, have the crew kind of clear for uh, the first like blocking rehearsal with the actors and it would just be us just like figuring out the scene. And I think that's sometimes common for, cause once everyone, and then everyone comes in and sees like, okay, this is what it's going to be and watches, you know, the, the final rehearsal of it. But, you know, I, 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 I think I got that from Polanski when he was doing Rosemary's baby. Like he, he had no idea like how he would block things and just like, just like come in and just intuitively figure it out in the moment, which I don't think his DP was a big fan of, but. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he would so do helpful. like um, before lunch, right? We're going to go with the actors into the location. We're going to run the scene and just yeah. go wherever you feel. Exactly. Like Intuitively want to be. And that's. But do not get within six feet of each other or. Touch <laughs> <them>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't have that limitation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, uh, we couldn't have people do anything they wanted on this one but um yeah i don't know it's always like a dance of like i think zoe and i both are trained actors we met at nyu and we were at tish school of the arts and so i think we definitely lean towards performance you know first and foremost and a lot of dialogue <laughs> which we're trying to work on <laughs> like how can we tell things with less dialogue uh it's so hard we talk so much but yeah, so I think we are always driven more towards like, what is the truth? The truth is coming through the actors' performances more than anything we're going to do with the camera or the, you know, all the other jazz and sprinkles on top. Uh, it's going to, it's really going to sing if you feel connected to these characters. And so, yeah, wherever they want to go and how they feel is what's guiding I'm us. I'm curious, I assume you guys, the crew was so small, you were shooting one camera exclusively or you were shooting two. two. Oh, great. We, we, awesome. We had, Talk about that a little yeah, bit. That's so wonderful. I, so we were... What, Daryl's got two <laughs> hands, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like... Why limit it yourself? Uh, yeah. It was it was a lot of long lens. Um, but so, so yeah, a little bit like fly on the wall, like in that scene, scenes with Nick Kroll, like I'm like on a, you know, 200 millimeter lens, like up in this hillside. And so is Tyler, my co-DP. And we wanted to have two cameras to to help with performances meshing because of there was so much improvisation and that's really challenging. Um, really difficult editing wise because, you know, you're trying to tell a cohesive story and some amazing moment that happens in one take might not happen in another take. Are you just and like yelling at Zoe the whole time you're editing? Like, oh, why did you not say that again? In, in all seriousness, no. no I, I am curious, pro. Zoe, like co-directing and being in literally every scene, right? Um, were there moments where you kind of, in the moment, were trying to guide a, a performance one way or the other as like a, an acting partner? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, on my directorial debut, Band-Aid, I also was in almost every scene and, and directing and I think that was a great boot camp, you know, for, for this too. I really like directing from inside the belly of the beast, so to speak. I think it's a really, really cool experience. A lot of head nods. <laughs> head tilts. Well, I think to you're just, move where you, want them. you know, like 
it's a really different experience than watching something on monitor. You are, you are seeing performance up close and personal and you're seeing how much an actor is listening. You're seeing how, you know, how tapped in an actor is to their authenticity in any given moment in a really different way. And I think there are definitely ways to guide actors. I mean, I think as an actor, I do that even when I'm not <laughs> directing because <laughs> I want to, I want to, you know, I want the scene to sing. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments and we would and also in scenes that were improvised, it was great because I was in the scene. So I could be throwing out something that as a writer director at monitor, I would have to yell for monitor, but in within the scene itself, I could just say it myself and then see where the scene went. That 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 is the true genius of Zoe Lister Jones, I will say, yeah. having um worked with her for so long. Like that is so hard to do. Like it is, I, I directed and acted in Breaking Upwards. Um, it's so difficult to split your brain between acting and like, I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to just be present with the actors, but then also be thinking, okay, what is, how is this story being told, you know, and how will this, how the audience perceive this? And is this shot even in focus? Like it's like so hard to do that. And so I was very lucky to have, like, that was why we co-directed this. Like we complimented each other in many ways. Like I would jump in and say, try this or this, but there were some moments where I just was so caught up with being the DP and like making sure like we were capturing um, the, the scenes correctly um, from a technical standpoint and aesthetic standpoint. And, and so Zoe sometimes would be closer in the scene to the actors and, you know, infuse something. And that was actually frustrating for me because I couldn't, I actually, I, I didn't feel like I could fully be a hundred percent present as director um, at times because it is so nerve wracking to not only operate camera, but be pulling your own focus. Um, so I have no, no assistant camera operator, which is incredibly difficult technically. I mean, there's, you know, obviously ACs, their whole profession is training how to focus a camera. Um, so then throw in your directing and producing at the same time and, and first aid Dean to make sure. And on streets scheduled. without any lockdown. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, during a global pandemic and it causes a whole <laughs> can of worms. Yeah. While you've lost your sense of smell and taste, you get it, Daryl. It's hard. Uh, I will say, I w I'll, I'll throw it back to Daryl too. And, and this is why I think we did, it was such a complimentary team that, that we had in, in each other. It was that like to not only, DP, but also operate, as Daryl said, with no AC or camera team whatsoever. I, I was holding the slate. Like it was, you know, we were all, it, it was just like sort of mayhem in that way that, yeah, what Daryl was doing was, was absolute madness. It was um, an improvement and, and, and from breaking is, upwards though, when Zoe would have to clap slate in front of the camera. I clap slated right. it, yeah. So it's we like, did a, that sometimes uh, we need a the, 20 more feet of PVC pipe. The <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it was that on this, it was like, you know, Daryl was literally, there was one scene on the bridge when Daryl, he, he would walk around. Well, he had a huge, huge brimmed hat because we're both pale Jews and he had a tarp that he would put over his hat. So he looked like a sort of like <laughs> um, he was also menacing, a, a menacing fugitive. And he asked us what, because he was trying to pull focus on this very bright bridge to do that push in on Logan Marshall Green. And so Kaylee and I had to stand on either side of him holding the tarp over him so that he could see, you know, it was like, 
it's amazing. It's amazing to be a part of that, but it's, um, okay. We'll get you a viewfinder for your birthday, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl <laughs> convinced but, uh, Yeah. But he did such a magnif- magnificent job of not only operating, but, but also just envisioning, you know, such beautiful shots. So oh, yeah, you, you can't, you can't be successful in my opinion as a director DP, unless your lead cast is like on your team and, doing the heavy lifting inside the scene. And what you said about directing from within the scene, it makes me think, I'm sure Matt, you think the same. We Both of our wives are actors. And whenever I'm like reading with her, just put her on tape for something, I feel like the biggest thing I can do is just set the pace and the speed, you know? And I think probably you can do that. You probably do some scenes with an actor and they're kind of talking slowly. And you're like, you're, you're really setting the pace as the director inside the scene. It's kind of like, fun it just made me think like i should probably read the scenes with all the actors in a scene because then i can help you know put a an energy and a pace and it you know if if i feel like it needs to change it's an interesting way to direct actors by doing a scene with them you know and most actors they don't love <laughs> they don't love being told like by the direct by the other sure. actor uh, <laughs> oh, which yeah. is tricky um but if you if there's enough communication and they understand like the reason then it's cool i, I am curious actually on the topic of actors whenever you make a, an indie movie right like you'll try and call in a favor or two or your your you know, special friends or whatever um and you when they're established in Hollywood, there's sometimes like an expectation of like, Oh, some amenities, so trailer here or there, or at least a focus puller. So they know that they're not soft in the shot. Um, (laughs) Was there any, any issues on that front? You know, that you, like we said, you have a star studded cast. It seems like everyone is, is game, you know, from the, the film feels very communal in that way. Were you anxious about that at all? Or, or talk to us about the nature of the caliber of your cast, I guess is what I'm asking. Fred Armisen demanded a thousand pink <laughs> starbursts, famously a monster, um, in a bowl. Sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, he is famously he, monstrous. We couldn't look him in the eyes. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's why didn't he? He's like literally in the scene. He's like twenty feet yeah, above. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, he, he demands <laughs> height. Yeah, yeah. That's a power yeah. dynamic. <laughs> he's like either yeah. seven apple boxes or put me on a balcony, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, everyone was very chill. Everyone, everyone was so everyone knew knew what they were signing up for so like you know when you don't have like lots of agents and managers <laughs> demanding things in contracts like that helps um it was well, do really you, do you guys deal with their like do you like text fred and say do, can you do the scene or do you like call like his agent at uta or whatever and say hey you think fred this, will do this was a special circumstance where we just went directly to the actors and then they handled it with their teams. So it was kind of on them to basically get the blessing from, from their representatives. Every, everyone knew this, we were in uncharted territory and unprecedented, you know, landscape. And look, if you want to come do this thing, awesome. This is, this is the deal. And if not, we totally get it. But I think everyone was down to get scrappy and, and do something because they had nothing else to do. And also I think they saw the beauty of what we were trying to accomplish and that there was like a real heart behind it. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, let's just like do a zombie film right now. Like no one, I don't know. They didn't, I don't think that would have been what they would, their cup of tea. They saw, we were trying to tell like a tender, a tender existential comedy. 
Right. Apocalyptic uh, story. Well, so I know we have to wrap up soon, but what's so what's next? I mean, I know, Zoe, you did this studio film, right? The Craft Legacy before this as and you were not an actor in that, right? You were just the director, writer, director, writer, director. Yeah. And Daryl, you know, you, you guys have done things, bigger things and smaller things. Are you guys done with the kind of shoestring indie film and going to bounce back to something bigger? Or are you on a have momentum with this kind of partnership? What's what's coming up for you guys? I think it's always dependent on I, whether it's small or big. It's just like this. It's just about story and where we feel like what we want to tell. So I think we're just guided always kind of just by our intuition and, and hearts. And we both have TV shows that we're working on separately actually at the moment, which were kind of in the works beforehand, which is kind of fun and, and cool and very much an extension of both of ourselves and like things that we're interested in from a thematic perspective. And um, in what manner are you working on them? Like writing, directing, acting, producing? Uh, always not both, a yes. Both All of creator. Them. Directing. <laughs> yeah. Not acting. Writing. Yeah. Writing and, and directing for both of them. And then. Well, Daryl may be acting in one. Yeah, maybe. That's true. Are you guys going to act true. in each other's? No pressure. <laughs> no pressure to cast each other. That is, definitely, <laughs> that is definitely on the table. I'll put Zoe in as many things as I can. Ah. <laughs> but she's busy. She's hard to get. <laughs> but I think for, for the last I'll just say for me is, and I think I could say this for Zoe too, that we're desperate for um, more comedies in the world. We feel like there's just been such a lack of, of great comedies um, that have come out and it's like you look back at like the nineties, like just like this plethora of comedy after comedy and it just the eighties, nineties, two thousands, like so many comedies and, and, and then they grew bigger and broader and sillier. You know, you've got the Farrelly brothers, you got the Will Ferrell into the Apatow land. And, and I think we're kind of missing those films like um, Tootsie and, and Annie Hall and, you know, even like Hal Ashby making films like um, The Landlord and being there. But you know what I mean? Just I think we're Mike Nichols, Elaine May films that are are not afraid to be real and gritty, but but smart, smart comedies that have soul. And I don't know what happened to this genre, but it's just like it's like they either have to be so huge or. And, and high concept, like, you know, like I, I won't throw any film under the bus, but, you know, there's usually some big gimmick to it nowadays. And we're just missing that human connection. So I would, sorry, this is a long-winded way of saying I'm like very much interested right now in kind of reinventing the comedy and like going really just leaning into heartfelt, um, funny things because I just really want to laugh. And it was really fun recently to watch Barb, that movie Barb and Star with Kristen Wiig, Zoe and I had a, a, a ball laughing at that one. Um, even though that is a much, that is the opposite of what I'm saying. It's like a really <laughs> ridiculous that does, um, harken, it does, yeah, it does harken back to, to um, absurdity. Um, but just to see one, like, I feel like we were all pleasantly surprised in the last year that like, oh, look, it was, here's it was like a, relief, a big fun right? comedy. Like we were all, yeah. It was a relief. It was like, we need to laugh. Like we can't, there's so much dark stuff on television and, so many, you know, drama movies, um, which are great, but it's like, okay, we need to have some levity. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, just to give Zoe a lot, put you on the spot just for a second, just for an ending. Um, what if, if you were talking to new filmmakers based on your experience on both the craft and how it ends and everything in between, 
festivals and hand holding, you know, C300s. Like what any advice to new filmmakers, things that you learned from from this if you were if you were talking to yourself 15 years ago, like Well, what? I mean, like I would say as a woman, it took me I feel a lot longer to gain the confidence to to think that I could direct. And Band-Aid you know, I mean, I, I learned so much from working with Daryl as a writer, producer, actor on on films that he was directing, and and that was like really just I could I I am so grateful for those experiences. But I do think that women tend to um, to not want to do something until they think they're perfect at it, and there's a lot less room. So I, I guess I would tell my younger self to go for it sooner. <laughs> you know. Um, and that, and that you learn so much as you're doing it. And even the most veteran directors are still learning so much every film. And that that is, that's good. You know, that's a good thing. It's, it's okay to not know. In fact, I think it actually is like, a, it's endearing. You know, like I, I think to, to be able to say, I don't, I don't know what that is. You know, <laughs> like what that term that you're saying is, that's okay to say. And I think usually people on your crew or your DP or whatever will be like, oh, cool. I get to like tell you what that thing is. So yeah, I would, I would say that. I mean, with Band-Aid, I wrote the script and nobody wanted to make it. Not one producer. <laughs> so. Um, Which is crazy because Zoe wrote that on her own. That didn't have to do with me. And it was so fucking good. I was like, this, the seriously though like it was so funny and to go back to comedy like such witty sharp dialogue um that only zoe can write and such so much heart with a clever concept like yeah couple who can't stop fighting turn their fights into songs like super fun and like that that could could have been an even bigger commercial film and sometimes producers yeah they just start to hijack your answer zoe but sometimes no, no, no. producers I love it they just don't see, they, they don't, they just don't see the vision. And then after it's made, they're like, oh, wow, like, that's amazing. Like, Why didn't you bring and, that to and, us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. <laughs> but I did, I mean, it took, again, it was sort of going back to our roots and what we kind of did with How It Ends too, um, even though we didn't go that route to begin with with How It Ends, that I was like, okay, well, how, what's the smallest amount of money I could make this for? And then how do I just go make it? independently and and i made that one with with an all woman crew which which was also just a really cool thing that i don't know other people would have totally let me do although qc who came on and and ended up financing it in the end was uh was super down with it which was great especially because they were dudes and they weren't allowed on set (laughs) um yeah i mean just man they just made get out which uh, yeah yeah right Um, and for listeners, there's a great interview with Zoe on NPR about the all-female crew that I oh, listened to okay. back in the day that I really was like, that, that's so cool. Like, I'd never heard of that, you know? Yeah, um, no, it, yeah, still, it still doesn't really happen ever. But um, but I, I would just say that's a long way of saying, just go, go make it. Like, I, I think the gatekeepers, that's like a big part of Daryl and my ethos is like the gatekeepers, you can learn things from them, but also you can also say, I'm not going to listen to you and I'm going to still go make this because no's are bullshit a lot, a lot of the time, you know, like be open to criticism and hear where, hear where you can grow as an artist, but also like fuck them and, and go make it if you can. And now technology really does allow you to. 
Um, so I would say like for young filmmakers, like find your community of. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sound people and DPs and and just go do something small and and get out there and tell your stories. Yeah, and you don't have to be perfect. Like I like that yeah. when you said that. Like it's yeah, totally. Because that, that. That, yeah, that, that kind of perfectionism is like such a deterrent to creativity. Because like I think, and I, I, that's what I see with most of my friends who still haven't made their first feature or desperately want to or make something is there's so much pressure. They're like, well, it, the first one has to be amazing. And, and then more time goes by and they're like building up this idea in their mind of what it should and needs to be and they see more films that are amazing that have come out and they're like oh god how can i compete and it's like you just gotta and look we're not perfect at it we suffer from that neuroses and and fear as well like there's plenty of times where i'm like oh my god like look at the film ari aster just made like i i quit i quit (laughs) like and and it's just I've learned to just applaud those and 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 try and see them as sources of inspiration more than anything and I'm not going to, I, in my mind, I'm not the filmmaker. I, I, I wish I was like, I wish I was, I wish each film was like a fucking Paul Thomas Anderson esque, uh, revered <laughs> new landmark fucking uh, piece of cinema. <laughs> but I'm just like, okay, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm a serviceable director. <laughs> I, up, I'm, no, but I do feel that way. I feel like I, I, I'm fine. Like, and, but I'm doing it. I'm like, at least I'm making stuff and, I'm I'm trying to have fun doing it and and I think like you're a Zoe visionary. Said, you're a visionary. <laughs> yeah, no. that's awesome. No, that's it's it's not easy to do it, especially after five years of telling people about your project, your script. Yeah, um, you get tired so, and exhausted, yeah. and so don't yeah don't let don't let the fear and the haters 
uh, tell you tell you what to do. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We can't wait to see uh, how it ends too. If you guys make a sequel, <laughs> let us know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll let you know. Thank, Thank you, you all so much. much. Oh, are you guys on Instagram? Can people follow what you guys are doing anywhere? Yeah, yeah. Just our names on Instagram. Yeah, at Zoe Lister Jones, at Daryl Wine, at How It Ends Movie. Wine, W-E-I-N. So that was our conversation with Daryl and Zoe. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We uh, do not have an unpaid endorsement this week unless you want to throw one out real quick. Yeah, you know, I will do that, actually. So uh, earlier today, I was texting Oren about how good Maureen Barucha's unpaid endorsement was because I watched the Michael Arndt Vimeo video essay on the, the things that he learned on writing Toy Story 2. And Oren was like, yeah, it's very good. Toy Story 3. That, Toy Story 3, pardon me. Yeah, it's very good. That was my endorsement. Yeah. Every once in a while, I have a good endorsement. Well, listen, I'm here to eat my words. It is better than good. It's great. It's yeah. an hour and a half long and worth every second. I'm going to watch it more than once, guaranteed. Yeah, I'm taking notes the whole time. It was also like nice. I'm in the middle of a rewrite, so it was good to kind of... And worth know. mentioning, totally free. Like It's not like a master class or anything. It's like, literally, yeah, yeah. you go to this website and you watch this video and it's so good. I would say if you have a solid writing foundation, it is the best distillation of writing advice I have ever seen. So thank you, Oren. Doubling down, Michael Arndt's Toy Story 3 Lessons. Uh, it's on Vimeo. Just Google that. And you'll get there. It's really, truly great. Yes. My endorsement. Change your Facebook password. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. Well, on that note, everyone, um, you can shoot us an email at justshootitpod at gmail.com. If you have questions, concerns, uh, we're going to do a few more Matt and Oren episodes. So if you've got questions, now's the time. Or you can drop us a voicemail at 262-SHOOT-1. We love those voicemails. Yeah. And if you have sent us a question or left us a voicemail, we're saving them all for a big listener question episode that is coming up in the near future. So we are going to answer those. So yeah, if you want to ask us more questions, you can email us justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can find the podcast across all social media at justshootitpod. I'm on Instagram at O'Kaplan and on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. Uh, this episode is edited by Sarah Weirda. Thanks, Sarah. Our social media maestro is Derek Aiello. Thanks, Derek. Killing it. Uh, and additional producing is done by Ali Kornfeld. Thanks, Ali. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and Artist Jazar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.